Welcome to the Housing Matters Podcast, brought to you by the California Association of Realtors and the Center for California Real Estate. Hello, and thank you for joining us for another Housing Matters Podcast. It's your favorite data nerds, back with everything you need to know about the housing market and the economy. Uh, my name is Jordan Levine, Chief Economist of the California Association of Realtors, and I'm joined as always by my partner in crime, Oscar Way, our Deputy Chief Economist. Hey, Oscar. Hey, Jordan. Hi, everyone. This is a very special episode because Indeed. unlike most of our kind of uh, spreadsheet work that we do this time, we get to zoom out and keep it a little bit high level because we're joined by our CEO, John Seabree, the new head of the California Association of Realtors. John, we're so excited to have you join us today. So good to be with both of you. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, we've uh, we, we got this is the big catch for us. So we're uh, absolutely excited, <laughs> And uh, I know the members are too, because even though for us, it feels like, and I, I see you all the time because we're on meetings almost every week, multiple times a week, but uh, it still is actually relatively new. And I have John's bio here, but um, he's been around the block, shall we say. And, and actually that was one of the things that we wanted to ask you about, because you had, you know, a uh, uh, role at NAR. You've obviously had a senior role in Florida for the statewide association and now having run two uh, realtor associations statewide, you know, just kind of wanted to know just a little bit more about the journey because for me, real estate's personal and I grew up in a real estate family. My dad was a realtor way back in the day and just kind of, um, you know, how, how did you go on that journey and just why real estate? I know I've heard you mention that, you know, you, you wake up all the time thinking about how to make real <laughs> stuff and just, you know, it seems like more, more than just a job. It is definitely more than a job. And I appreciate the question. I was um, a kid growing up in Kentucky, um, went off to college and dreamed of working in Washington, DC. And I never thought it would happen. It was it was such a big leap from rural Kentucky to think, yeah. wow, I could make my way to Washington, D.C. And so um, during college, I made a couple of trips. I, you know, I was active in student government and there were things that took us there. And so I was very fortunate to be offered a job with the U.S. House of Representatives right out mm -hmm. of college. We had two Kentucky congressmen who were both on the same subcommittee of the House Banking Committee. And I was working both angles and, um, and they worked their magic and got me a job. So I worked for, it's now called the House Financial Services Committee. Okay. Back then it was Banking, Finance and Urban Affairs. It still back then and still today has jurisdiction over all housing issues. So right so, off the bat, it was yeah. housing. Yeah, I mean, it just <laughs> happened. And uh, so suddenly, you know, I'm working on VA, Farmers Home, FHA, yeah. um, all of these housing programs, and add to it that it was the middle of the savings and loan crisis. Wow. So because I was with the General Oversight Subcommittee, we were tasked with traveling the United States. So think about this. I was about 22 years old, <laughs> traveling the United States, setting up field hearings on the credit crisis, what needed to happen, what problems people were having. And of course, there was a huge role 
the real estate played in all of this. I don't have to tell the two economists that. And so um, it wasn't long. I was on the Hill just under two years when the National Association of Realtors contacted me and offered me a job. And so it was a very seamless transition. And, you know, you wake up one day and you've been there 13 years. And yeah, so I, I spent 13 years. I started doing policy, housing policy, but quickly transferred into lobbying on all of our issues. Mm. And that's, that was my real introduction to the world of realtors. Wow. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, it, I, I kind of, even though I went a more kind of nerdy path, I, I so kind of, you know, vibe with that just because I, I started out doing general macroeconomic stuff and very quickly it was like you're spending 80% of your time doing real estate stuff and it sounds like that's how it was in those committees. It's just, it's such a big part of everyone's everyday life that, that you can't help but get sucked in. Right. And and John, after that, you went to um, Florida Association. Yeah. So at the yeah, the way we were divided at NAR at the time, um, I had most of the southeastern United States. I covered the congressional delegations of eight mm -hmm. states. So Florida being the largest of my eight states that I covered, and I worked with the U.S. senators, the members of the House. And then all of the realtor associations within those states. And so Florida came to know me pretty well. They would make annual trips to Washington, D.C. And, you know, I they knew that the members of the congressional delegation enjoyed working with me. And we just had good relationships. And um, Florida had a longtime senior lobbyist who ran their Tallahassee operation. And he was retiring and they wanted to sort of go in a new direction. And uh they they basically came to me in Washington and said, oh, by the way, we're going to hire you. And I said, no, you're not. I mean, I'm never leaving the National Association of Realtors. Yeah. But they made the case. And I think it's interesting because I loved the issues I was working on in Washington. But Florida came to me and said, you know, this is more than just housing and tax. This is about selling quality of life. Yeah. And it's, it's about everything that we can do in the community as realtors. And it's not just the typical lobbying job, you know, and we, we envision something different. So I was basically allowed to come in and create my own new, nice. what I called Office of Public Policy. Okay. And we beefed it up. We hired new people. We had policy, political experts, and really made a huge difference in the state of Florida Everything from when I got there, you know, they were seen as what the governor at the time told me, a sleeping giant. They weren't really making a difference. Yeah. And we made that difference. And so then fast forward, you know, I was loving Florida. I never thought I would leave. And Missouri called me and said <laughs> they needed a CEO because their CEO had left. And I... I once again thought, why would I leave to do something different? But I hadn't been the CEO yet. I'd run a big lobbying operation, but I think in my career trajectory, I was sort of ready for a CEO position. And um, so that's how I ended up in Missouri. I was there seven and a half years when the California position opened up and um, and I was contacted by lots of people in California who knew my NAR Florida and yeah. Missouri experience 
which all really came together very well, I think, um, and sort of made me well-rounded. Now I sound like I'm bragging, but I've got my work <laughs> cut out for me. But I think the the past is going to help me with the future here. Yeah. No, I, I don't know about Oscar. I wouldn't speak for him, but I, 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 I'm I very excited because even, and we were talking about this just kind of in the warm-up too, is, you know, that's kind of where I think a lot of the work is there to be done is in the public policy arena and just having that whole holistic view of how, you know, to get the whole organization behind stuff like that. And we've been working to beef up our research in that arena as well. And so it's, it's an exciting time and a lot of stuff coming down the pike. So I, I think it's going to be really fun and exciting time. So we're looking forward to it. Um, what about, well, and maybe, you know, maybe it is or it isn't, but how, how are you finding California? Because, you know, you, you work on so many of these issues are big, like kind of ubiquitous, no matter where you live with housing and rents and real estate and all of that stuff. And so, you know, are, are you dealing with a lot of the same stuff? I mean, in Florida, they have natural disasters too and high home prices and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So is it, is it all, you know, is there anything unique and, and what do you find is really does kind of carry over? Well, you know, it's it's a great question because when I arrived here, of course, people think, oh, you came from a much smaller state. You can't have the problems we have. But every state in the nation has had tight inventory, mm -hmm. rising prices. Um, and now we see, you know, similar things happening all over. Now, of course, that's on steroids in California. You right. know, their high prices are nowhere near our high prices. But um but, you know, that's all sort of relative. And, um, you know, Jordan, it's funny. Last week, I believe it was last week, the sustainability climate change uh, CCRE uh -huh. event that we had as the discussions were going on. And then later that week, I was at Smart Coast California, their conference in Long Beach. Yeah, and I'm yeah. thinking, oh, my goodness, these are all the issues that I dealt with when I was in Florida. Mm. You know, I dealt with these same coastal construction issues and, you know, and here we are talking about them here. And then you've both heard me say before, you know, the issues that I had in Florida with wind insurance are very, very similar to the issues we're having in California right now with wildfire insurance premiums right, right, and how right. we have to find solutions to these really tough problems and it's that experience from finding solutions to these same issues in Florida or somewhere else that are helping today. Yeah, totally. And, yeah. you know, again, stuff that has to be done kind of at the policy level and to kind of bring people together and stuff. So I think that's that's awesome. Yeah. And, and I'm also intrigued, you know, Jordan, you mentioned, okay, John, you've gone to different states, you know, in Missouri, in Florida, of course, in DC. But at the same time, I'm also you know, very impressed with the number of years of experience, because that means you actually have gone through some ups and downs, you know, <laughs> in the real estate cycle. Now, um, you know, the, the, in a lot, even in the last 20 years, we have what, two, three, you know, um, uh, uh, economic cycle. And so, you know, it looks like, you know, right now we are, you know, maybe slowing down a little bit, you know, in the next probably starting started started already and maybe in the next couple of months we will be seeing some evidence of closed sales uh slowing down um 
are you, you know, just based on, you know, what you have observed so far, you know, do you think we actually are going through a slowdown and, you know, how is it different from what you've seen in the past? Well, um, it's definitely different from when I was in Florida in, so I got to Florida at the very end of 2003 and left mm -hmm. there in 2014. So I was there for 06, 07, 08, when, when it was real estate that took us into that recession, mm -hmm. right? You know, it was what had happened in the mortgage industry yeah. and real estate that really did, you know, here I'm talking to two experts here who know this <laughs> as well or better than I do. So I don't see it that way this time, you know, this time around, it's very different. It's not real estate that will take us into a recession. It's other, you know, macro global issues, inflation fears, right. you know, political unrest, you know, all of these things that are happening in our world, not just our country that are unnerving people. But I, but I really do think it's different. And I, I'm not sorry to see prices start to level off a little bit. Right. I'm not sorry to see sales slow. Well, I would want to see sales continue because there are so many people who right. want to buy. But, um, you know, we still have inventory constraints that yeah. we have to work through. And I think that's that's our problem. You know, yeah, the we don't have enough issue. inventory. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a, a big one. I think, you know, it's funny because we get asked all the time about like interest rates and stuff. And it's like, you know, interest rates are at five or 6% or, or what have you like, you know, and, and to me, I, in some ways, I think it's just, it's just one of the many myriad challenges that realtors are helping folks navigate. And it's not, you know, in and of themselves aren't, aren't the make or break. Well, you know, Jordan, that one's interesting to me too, because you know, I've been visiting places all over California and, mm -hmm. you know, you're in Silicon Valley where, you know, young buyers who are ready to buy. And I, I don't know, I don't have, in fact, I should probably talk to you two about this one day soon, but so many of them have cash that right. they're not concerned about interest rates where I'm concerned about interest rates because, you know, I would need a mortgage. And, right. um, you know, it's it's a fascinating time for us because I can't imagine, I mean, there have been wealthy people forever. However, mm -hmm. I feel like it's different now, you know, in our high-tech environment, especially here in California, where we have all these companies paying really great wages. I mean, look at the budget surplus California has. The reason <laughs> it has the budget surplus it does is because there are these companies that are making record profits, which mm -hmm. turns into tax receipts for the state of California. So those companies, Facebook, Apple, you know, all these companies are paying really good wages. And then those employees get bonuses and they've got money in the bank. And yeah. so I think the interest rates are affecting them less. But, you know, we've seen for a while that, the mortgage industry has been drying up. I mean, I read headlines in my mortgage news every yeah. day about another company that's laying off employees because they're just not doing mortgages. Yeah, totally. And actually that's something that Oscar and I talk about all the time. You know, we used to have assumable loans, but I worry that that's gonna be this anchor that holds back 
transactions in the future, you know, just because why would you move if you got a two and a half percent mortgage, even if you're sitting on a boatload of equity, you're still, um, you know, you, you're kind of chained to that super cheap borrowing cost. And so uh, that, you know, I, I think that in and of themselves, they're I, I kind of joke that my dad used to have, and you said, you mentioned the SNL crisis back then, but, you know, mm-hmm. people used to have 20, 15, 20% mortgage rates and, you know, but what they didn't have was $900,000 median home prices. And so that's okay. kind of what makes it a little more challenging these days, I guess. Um, it is. And, and you, John, you also mentioned, I think, uh, you know, a lot of people who are new home buyers, first time buyers, let's say in the Bay Area, they may not have seen a Six percent interest rate. No. You know, we all have seen you know six percent interest rate. So six percent seems like a, a lot, especially with you know the uh, the the nine hundred thousand median price home. Um, and you know, Jordan, you also mentioned about okay, well, why would people trade um, you know for a higher rate? Um, you know, I think that's another topic that we can talk about later on, which is the cash out refi. That mm-hmm. would be one reason, but we were not we we're not going to touch on this topic later uh, this time. Um, but you know it, it is affecting everyone of uh, the interest rates rising, which of course we all did not expect it to be what going all the way up to five five and a half percent or so. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know I think that might be one of the reasons why you know we're seeing um, you know uh, the de- demand slowing down a little bit. But we also have talked about you know demand slowing down partly because of a supply issue. Mm-hmm. And I believe, John, you will be talking something about, you know, uh, innovative way of, you know, creating supply in the next, next week or, or in a couple of weeks. Um, so what do you think, you know, uh, uh, supply constraint, um, how serious it is in California? Oh, it's it's incredibly serious. And I'm very excited, Oscar. Thanks for reminding me. That's uh, June 9th mm-hmm. is the next CCRE session and it's called Innovative Pathways to Production, Solutions to a Housing Crisis. And I actually had a Zoom today with the five speakers because I'm serving as moderator. Mm -hmm. And I cannot wait to bring these five speakers to our members on June 9th because these are experts who are working with adaptive reuse. Mm -hmm. They're working with creative programs Mm -hmm. all over the country. Um, Many of them know California well, which is important. So I'll say this, you know, a lot of times people want to hear from people who only know California. (laughs) I think it's great for us to hear from people who know other parts of the country so we can learn from other examples as well. And so that's what we're going to do on June 9th. And I'm I'm really excited, but we have to get creative here, you know, turning former malls and... um, you know, it's sort of easy to turn, <laughs> excuse me, a hotel into yeah. some kind of housing because you've already got some of the inner workings there. You know, yeah. you've got plumbing and you've got, mm-hmm. you know, um, in fact, both of you have probably heard me say this one before. First of all, I did a lot of work on adaptive reuse in Missouri. Kansas City is leading the nation in conversions of oh, wow. commercial buildings to uh, housing units, which is exciting. But another example is uh, a days in, in Branson, Missouri, where, you know, the market there is very different. In Branson, it's a um, a, um, resort community. And so you've got that 
that worker that is at a lower price point and they need housing. And so there was a days in, I believe it was over 400 units. They were able to do, uh, these are rentals, so Mm -hmm. it's not for purchase, but it alleviates a need at that lower end for housing, which is very exciting. And so, um, you know, we've got to get creative all over the country. No, and it turns into big numbers too. I like shamelessly sent you one of these papers that Oscar and I did where it looked at, you know, adaptive reuse in California. And even if you carve off just a small chunk of the commercial space out there and turn it into housing units, it adds up to big numbers very quick. And and I think it's it's great because it circumvents some of the traditional um you know, kind of resistance to, to supply in the sense that these are structures that are already there. There's usually parking and stuff that goes with it and, and all the stuff that usually gets folks up in arms. So I think it is a huge opportunity. Well, and both of you would know the numbers on this better than me, but I've heard from national economists that Los Angeles um, is number two to New York in um, absorption rate of mm. commercial lease space. And so that made me think, so we've probably got all these good um, companies that have continued to pay their lease through the pandemic because they were in a lease. But when that lease comes up, when it's due at the end of the lease, they're not likely going to renew at the same rate and they're not going to want the same amount of space. And so that's going to free up even more office space that could potentially be converted. Absolutely. Yeah. I think when we crunch the numbers, it's like, even when you take into account, some folks are going to be working in the office and not, I mean, you're talking about 15%, you know, equivalent for remote that is, you know, again, even if you peel off 5% of that, a third or even a smaller amount, I mean, it it quickly uh, adds up. And I think strip malls, you know, people are shopping online and shopping from their couch and all that stuff. Right. Yeah. And, and John, do you see, um, you know, uh, since we're talking about, you know, uh, maybe converting some of those commercial buildings, do you see policy wise, do you see any difficulty, um, you know, in California versus some other states? Or are you optimistic, at least? Can we make it? Yeah. I am optimistic. And we have had some great meetings, both in Sacramento and in Washington, D.C. recently, and there is a ton of interest among our elected officials in this, Mm -hmm. especially in Washington, D.C. There is legislation introduced in Congress by California members of Congress that would make it easier and encourage um, investment in these types of um, conversions. So, um, So I'm really excited about the prospects, and I think you know, the public's going to have to get excited about it too, because, you know, the last thing you want are empty commercial buildings around your, your area. You know, if we can, this is a win-win scenario. Absolutely. Yeah. I think putting the people where they want to be and, you know, a lot of people aren't living in the places where they want to be just because they can't find a place. And, and I think that, you know, it's the more that we can, you know, align that stuff, then the, the more smooth the housing market's going to work and the more home ownership and all of that stuff. Right. Um, now, at the same time, you know, of course, it, it's exciting, you know, that we will be able to turn some of the commercial building into um, into uh, residential. Uh, but at the same time, you know, we are going to have a little bit more flexibility or maybe even more demand 
because mm -hmm. now that consumer may be able to work from home or not consumers, um, uh, workers are able to work from home. So their behavior might be a little, may, may change a little bit. And yet we have seen, you know, more demand in the last year, year and a half, of course, before interest rates started rising about 5%. Um, so that means, you know, potentially in the future, you know, demographic uh, uh, pattern, as well as, you know, flexibility of, of home are going to lead to a higher housing demand. Um, do you think that is going to have an impact on maybe, you know, um, where people live and maybe the preference of you know, housing and all that other? Oh, my um, goodness. Impact? Oscar, this issue has fascinated me since day one of COVID. First of all, you know, when COVID began, none of us knew what to expect. We right. thought, I mean, I'm not speaking for anyone else, but for me and well, honestly, most everyone I read it's like, oh my gosh, the bottom's falling, you know, the world's falling apart because everything shut down for a short time until we realized, you know, real estate's essential. People need to be, need to continue to buy and continue to move. And then, then it was very soon after that, I started thinking, oh my gosh, I can't wait for the first <laughs> study to come out about, um, you know, every year NAR does their, um, survey of you know what people want in the, in a home and you yeah. know that kind of thing and yeah. so I started reading all those and just so fascinating how it's changed our thinking about how far we can be from an office what we want in a house speaking yeah. of offices we now want two offices and yeah. room for the kids to do their homework and you know pets and all the yards and it's um it's a fascinating thing. So yeah, I don't think there's any end to that because people appreciate their house more today right. than ever. Yeah. And that's never going to change. So that's a really fascinating byproduct of COVID that has led us to this place where moving forward, it's gonna have a huge impact on where we build, um, you know, what we build, yeah, what what they build, you know. Um, so it's a, it's a really interesting one because, you know, first of all, we're not going to see the average American worker go back to the office five days a week for eight hours a day. Mm -hmm. It's just not going to happen. And even those who want that to happen, I think are missing a couple of points. One, if in the old way of thinking, if you want everyone to come back to the office, it means you don't trust your workers to do their work. And so I've heard of situations where maybe people aren't getting their work done. So you do require them to come into the office a certain yeah. number of days a week and work with others and make sure they're, because there are people who got hired during the pandemic right. who maybe, excuse me, don't know their colleagues or don't know the building where people used to work. And so we have to work through those issues. But I don't think it's ever going to be back to business as usual. So that's going to continue to have a major impact on consumer behavior. Yeah. And it sounds like that's pretty widespread, right? Because you're going to DC all the time and all over California. And, and I mean, do you see that kind of passion for the home and stuff everywhere you go? I see it everywhere, you know? Yeah, I just go back to most of my time during the pandemic was in you know, the very center of Missouri. Yeah. And, and it was fascinating to see what was happening about, you know, if you love the show Ozarks, for example, <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. that was just south of where I lived in Columbia, Missouri, right there okay. in central Missouri. Awesome. Well, 
Lake of the Ozarks exploded one of the hottest markets in the nation because people could drive there. They could drive there from Chicago. Well, yeah, as yeah. they do in the show, yeah. Ozarks, they drive there from Chicago. But you know, you could also drive there from Kansas and Iowa. And no longer was it just about taking a family vacation all the way to the coast of California or something like that, or yeah. to Florida. It was about where can we go more often because it's about quality of life now more than it ever has been. And so markets all over the country saw that. But um, but you also saw people moving further away from St. Louis and Kansas City yeah, because yeah. they didn't need to be there as much as they did when they accepted that previous job. So yeah, and the same thing, of course, is happening to us all over the state of California. Yeah, no, it's really interesting because it used to be just like that. I mean, you had to go to the big city to get the good job, right? And now it's it's kind of um, decoupled those a little bit. So it's going to be really interesting to to see where where that all goes. The one thing I didn't ask you that I wanted to though is because you, you have a great um, speech that you did early on for that for the. Sacramento, um, I don't know if it was for Ledge Day, but it was one of those big things. But you talked about how, you know, realtors aren't just out there kind of helping with the transaction side and just the whole kind of connecting the dots of realtors, you know, doing a lot more for the community and just all of the stuff that goes into it. Can you, because for me personally, that's one of the reasons why I, I like shilling for home ownership, but I love working for the realtors too, because, you know, um, the the really good realtors, and I consider my dad one of those back in the day, you know, they're, they're out there kind of moving and shaking and making stuff happen and 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 you kind of were were said spoke to that in a way that really spoke to me yeah um i don't remember exactly what i said or when but if it was from my heart i can probably you know come back up with it but um you know the realtors are on the front line they are out there every day they are seeing what's happening in their community and it's registering with them oftentimes before it's registering with others because they're seeing so many people in different situations and they start to spot trends and things. But one thing that I don't believe realtors take enough credit for is the impact they have on the economic development of their entire neighborhoods and their entire communities and oftentimes regions because, you know, one new employer that they worked with their chamber of commerce to bring in, you know, brings say 500 new jobs. And each of those new jobs is buying a house. And each of those houses has in California, the average economic impact of each new home sale beyond the home itself, right. I've read is nearly $200,000 because that, that home buyer who was a renter, didn't need a mower, now they do. And now they need drapes and appliances and all these things that have this incredible ripple effect through the economy. So the realtor has that impact, but also they are, they're the good neighbor, you know? Mm -hmm. They are the one who is chairing the March of Dimes ball and they're, you know, they're active in the JCs and the Kiwanis and the all these things. And they are, creating homelessness programs that actually work, you know, yeah, right. versus the government programs that don't seem to work. And they're doing things with their church and they're just the schools. And that is so incredibly important. So one thing I'd love to see us do here is recognize those good neighbors yeah. even more than we already do. It's something NAR has been doing for years. We did it in Missouri. We did it in Florida. 
and really you know, take notice of those realtors who are good neighbors in their community. Because a lot of times a realtor is working so hard, they may not realize what their neighbor realtor is doing that's making such a difference. And true. seeing that example could inspire them to do even more. That's very true. Yeah. I think, you know, uh, and of course, many of our realtors are, you know, expert in the area. They know the, you know, the, the neighborhood and, you know, they definitely uh, need to be uh, recognized, um, you know, from time to time. Now, of course, at the same time, uh, realtors are contributing to the economy, but at the same time, they are also uh, encountering a lot of challenges. Um, not, I'm specifically, you know, referring to some uh, industry-wide challenges uh, that I'm sure we've talked about before. I'm just going to name a few, you know, like, you know, um, the uh, you know, MLS changes, uh, new technology like blockchain, uh, NFT, and of course, we also have a lot of industry disruptions. Uh, maybe iBuyers and you know some of the other business models. What are some of the uh, industry-wide challenge that you think might be the the most important, the most uh, you know that need required our attention uh, imme more immediate? Sure, sure. Well, you definitely listed a couple of big ones there, and I, I will say before I give you my off-the-cuff thoughts of some others that I never run from that disruption that you mentioned, Oscar, mm -hmm. because I think disruption is good for us. Mm -hmm. If there weren't those creative people out there disrupting, you know, I don't know that our Reb subsidiary would be doing good things because it's the disruption that promotes this new technology that makes us better and smarter and, True. you know, so, so I never run from that disruption. I know it can scare us, but, mm -hmm. uh, you know, <laughs> as I said, you named the biggest ones probably, but I'd say there is this political divisiveness that is an issue, not just in our state, not just in our country, it's more of a global issue. And it's something we need to be worried about because it could have, you know, even greater implications for us than just our business of real estate. I mean, it's a, it's a real global touch point that I think we need to to focus on and and talk to our neighbors about and figure out ways to get through that um, demographic changes. Yeah. You know, are we focused on the buyer of yesterday, or are we mm -hmm. focused on the buyer of tomorrow and the seller of today versus the seller of yesterday? And you know, how can we help our members make their way through those demographic changes, including? what we read about out migration in our state, you know, that's a fascinating topic um, that we hear a lot about. Um, you know, I mentioned climate change and sustainability. Mm -hmm. Those are issues that I think we're, we're focusing on, but, you know, the realtor that's in a part of the state that's impacted by wildfires may not make the connection right. to climate change that we need them to make. Um, we're going to have to change the way we've been doing things if we're going to have um, properties that are going to last through these cycles. Yeah. Um, you know, one thing that individual realtors talk to me a lot about, and even my state colleagues around the country trying mm -hmm. to get their a handle on teams, Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's sort of fascinating. We might not see that as one of these global issues, but it's amazing how in every state, they're trying to get a handle on teams. And some think, well, maybe the team leaders should be a broker because, right. you know, they're managing agents and 
that, but it's there, maybe they're not managing agents the way they should. And there's a lot of disconnect in that. And legislatures and regulators don't uh, maybe get the handle on it that they should. And so that's a fascinating one for us to continue to work on. And, yeah, you know, there's so that's a few lots ideas. To, lots to keep you busy, it sounds like. What about just in general? Are you still, I mean, all of that stuff notwithstanding, are you optimistic about realtors moving forward and just kind of staying the part of that fabric of the, you know, you mentioned all the good stuff that they do, but then we talked about some of the kind of headwinds and things like that. Where do you see realtors in the future? I uh, I see realtors continuing to be the heart of the transaction. Mm. I see them being the one who, you know, wears 50 hats. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think a computer or a robot or anyone is going to, they may take a hat or two. Yeah. But I think the realtor is going to continue to have their hand on all of these transactions. And uh, and we're not going to go the way of the travel agent kind of thing. You know, we've we've heard this for years. I don't see it. I see, you know, the Internet has made buyers and sellers smarter yep. and realtors work smarter because of it. Um, I think they work even harder. <laughs> um so, yeah, I don't think realtors are going away. Yeah, and and I think it's a little different when you're talking about a six hundred dollar plane ticket versus a nine hundred and something thousand dollar expenditure. <laughs> yes. You need a that I think exactly. there's even more need probably for that trusted advisor role now than ever, especially because people are like you said buying stuff that they don't have a lot of experience with moving to places they aren't from and things like that. So I think the the need for the member is is there more than ever. We just got to make sure we're arming them with all the expertise and stuff they need to get it done. Yeah, and there, I think there are a lot of things that you know realtors they do that uh, you know will not be replaced by just a uh, algorithm. You know, right. you know, there's the negotiation. There's that human touch. I think there are a lot of things Very that much. require yeah. you know the human touch. Well, I selfishly could sit here and talk to you all day, John, and just pick it's your brain. It's fun. It's a lot of fun. But I know all good things have to come to an end, don't they? <laughs> yeah. But we so appreciate your time. And, uh, it, you know, I, I personally enjoyed it. But I also think our members got a lot of perspective out of it, yeah. too, and hopefully some excitement for, for what's to come. So, Oscar, did we, did we forget to ask John anything critical that we need to while we got him on the hook? I think we asked all, you know, almost all the questions, but uh, I wouldn't. Um, I, I would love to, you know, uh, invite John back maybe in a few months or so, you know, to elaborate on or, you know, uh, talk about, you know, some of the things that we already covered and see how it progressed, you know, uh, then a few months from now or maybe a year from now. Yeah, that is a great plan. Awesome. Well, John, thank you so much to our listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in to another Housing Matters podcast. I think we're in the triple digits now. I think this is episode 100 or 98 or something yes. really close to nice. that. Uh, it's it's been a pleasure and we look forward to continuing to serve you and uh until next time we'll i guess we'll see you on the next one thanks so much thank you john bye